We're starting a, a brand new series today uh, called Asking for a Friend. And so back in August, we, thanks Nick, uh, we said, hey, if you got questions maybe that you have about faith, about the Bible, about the church, about family, really anything, um, we, we could submit that question online, or we had boxes in the back, and just, we got tons and tons of questions, more, more questions than we could possibly answer over a, a four-week period. And, and we're, we're, we're going to do our level best to answer a, a bunch of them. And, but here's the thing, like, so you may have submitted a question, and, you know, very specific, and you're like, well, I kind of asked that question, but not exactly. So we kind of combined some of the questions and kind of get the general idea of, of what the different questions that were asked through the questions. And so uh, we, we want to do our best over these next four weeks to, to, to answer these questions through a, a biblical worldview. Right? And so, so we want to do everything uh, at Charter Oak Church through a, a gospel-centered Bible basis. Right? This is our authority. I am not the authority of our church. This is Jesus' church. And this is his word, this is his truth, and everything that we do, everything we say here, we, we seek to, to base it on God's word. And so, now here's the thing, we're, we got, there's some questions we're going to handle, some controversial questions, and people are walking after the 9 o'clock service, they're like, boy, you are brave. And you're going to disagree with some of the things that I say. And some of the things I'm going to say, I'll say, hey, this, you know, this is my opinion, this is what I think. And when I read the Bible, this is how I interpret it. Right? But, but here's the thing, we have these eight essential beliefs. You can look them up on our website. These are the eight things that, that, that that's the hill we'll die on. These are the things that we're not going to compromise, we're not going to apologize for. These are the things that are essential to us. But there are also a whole just slew of, of non-essential things. And some of those we're, we're going to be talking about today and throughout this series. And those are the things that, that we can actually disagree with each other on. Right? And it's, it's the manner in which we disagree. Right? It's the manner in which we, we love each other, that we look each other in the eye, and we, we talk to each other from a, from a biblical perspective. This isn't just like, hey, I, I think this. It has nothing to do with the Bible, but I, I disagree with you just because. Just because. Right? That, that, no, this is like, I've searched the scriptures, I've read the scripture for myself, and, and this is how I, I interpret it. And it's, and it's, it's different than you. I'm like, great, let's, let's have a conversation about that. In a world that's so divided and so angry with each other, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, we, we can't talk about politics, we can't talk about religion because it just brings such division and anger and anchor and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, actually, we, as Christians, we can have these kind of conversations. We can do it in a, in a way that, that honors God and, and blesses one another. And so we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna seek to do that uh, throughout this series. And so, like, and as we're, what we're going to do, we're also going to say, what I also want you to say to you is, like, when we disagree, we want to disagree in love, right? And it's not just like, hey, I love you, but you stupid, right? <laughs> hey, that's, that's not love, right? So the first question that we're going to co cover, and, and it's kind of, I think, appropriate, and that is, when is division healthy, <laughs> in a church or a family? And so I, I want to point you to three verses. And so like, in this, like I said earlier, like in this, this series, we're, we're going to be jumping around. So I mean, it's not going to be like, hey, open to Joshua 24 like we've done for the last four weeks. And like, we're just going to go verse by verse through this. No, like, we're going to be jumping all over the place. So all the scriptures will be up on the screen. So first I want to listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. My prayer is not for them alone. He's saying my prayer is not only for the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be what? May be one. 
Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no what? No divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. And then again from Apostle Paul, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so I picked those three passages because I think they're, they're so clear and they're so powerful. But, but, but here's the thing. The first thing I want to say to, to you today is that, that we, we as, as disciples of Jesus, we don't create unity. Right? We, we, we don't create unity in our church. We don't create unity in our marriages or in our family. Right? When we put our faith in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we are grafted into the family of God. One Lord, one faith, one hope, one God. Right? And so we can't create unity on our own. So if we can't, then who creates unity? What did Paul say? The Holy Spirit. Right? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So it's, it's the Holy Spirit that, that creates unity in our, in our church, in our families, and in our marriages. And so, so in other words, our unity, it, it actually it originates with the Holy Spirit because we are children of God. So the first thing I want to say is our submission to the Holy Spirit is what creates and brings unity. Now the second thing I want to point out from these three chapters, these three verses rather, is, that, is the impact of our unity. Right? It's, it's not the level of like this, this institutional oneness. right? As if, hey, if there was only just one big denomination across the world, like that's what's going to draw everybody to Jesus. It doesn't say that. Right? It says that, that the impact of our, of, of our on our community and on our world is that when people who are in your circles of influence, when, in my circles of influence, see us as the church, as the bride of Christ, right? in, in unity, in, in love, and in attitudes towards one another, that is the thing that's going to draw people to Jesus. And so like, oftentimes I think that the thing that, that pushes people away from the church, that pushes people away from God is, is the way that we treat one another. And it's like, hey, if, if, if we would treat each other with love and with care and genuineness, right, that would actually, the, the watching world would, would be drawn to Jesus. I mean, I just, that, I, I pray for that. I dream of the day. That everyone who's, who doesn't have a church, who is not a believer in Jesus, outside the walls of our church, like, they would see in us something that is distinctly different. It's full of love and of grace and compassion. Be like, I want to be a part of that kind of church. I want to be a part of a church that, that loves each other so well, even when we disagree, even whenever things aren't going well, that we're in this together. And then the third thing I want to say is, like, there's... In the Bible, as I, as I read through the Bible, there's, there's no sense of, of unity for the sake of unity in the Bible. Right? Like, hey, we just, everybody just needs to get along. 
If, if it's just like, hey, we just need to get along, that means we're not actually having any kind of conversation. We're not being real with each other. We're not wrestling with brokenness in our world and in our lives. Right? The, the only kind of unity that, that glorifies God is unity in his truth, in the word of God. And so for, for Jesus and, and really the, the writers of the New Testament, it was, it was actually it was inconceivable to them that, that you, could, you could love another person by, by throwing away the truth, his, this God's truth, for the sake of peace or for the sake of unity. Okay, let's, let's not base our lives on this. Let's just base it on that we're all going to get along. And that's, that's, that's unity. That's, that's false unity. And so I, I want to say something that, that actually that may surprise you. I think healthy conflict is good. It's good in our marriages, it's good in our families, and it's good in our church. And it's actually lifted up in the Bible. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. <gasps> it happened in the early church? What? Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. There must be a mistake. No, some things never change. Then he goes on, he says, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Right, and so when I, when I read this, I, I, I think, okay, here's, here's what Paul's going to write. He's going to write, for in the first place, when you come together to church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Stop it. Right, that's what you ex kind of expect him to be like, kind of, throwing shade on us, right? But that's not what he says. He's like, no, no, like some conflict, it's actually good for churches and families and for marriages to remain healthy. Why? To prove who is who. Right, so, so who's here, who's really here to worship God in spirit and truth? Who's here to, to follow and, and obey Jesus? And who's not? Right, who is who in your marriage? Who's who in your family? Who's who in our church? We, we, we need, we, see, see, what conflict does, it, it draws out whatever is inside of us. Do you understand that? Conflict draws out what's inside of us, for better or for worse. And so we need to see what, what conflict reveals. So Paul says, hey, there, there's factions among you. There, there are people who are not walking in God's truth. Like we talked about this all summer as we did 13 weeks on 1 John. Like they're just, he's calling out the false prophets. He's like, we need to see who is who in our church. So we can call out what is true and, and what is false. Right? And so, but, and for me, I'm like, okay, conflict, it, it uncovers secret beauty. Right? It, it proves the genuineness of people's faith. And for me, like one of the benefits of, of going through what we've been going through with our denomination over the last couple of years is that it has revealed our, our unity in God's truth. Our church is, is always going to be built on God's word. And so as we've wrestled and struggled and discerned about what's going on, like, I think our struggles have actually, it has produced unity instead of division. Now, now here's the thing, like, we, we don't aim for, for conflict for the sake of conflict, right? But, but, we, so we, but we ultimately we aim for unity in the spirit. And so we all have this attitude of, hey, as far as it depends on me, hey, let's, let's pursue, you know, togetherness in truth. 
And let's, and let's receive conflict as an invitation to explore and to experience more of the oneness that we have in Jesus as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I, I start with like, division and conflict and all that kind of stuff to kind of build on, on the other things that we're going to talk about today. So one of the questions that we received was, why are there so many denominations? Right? And other questions that kind of fit under that heading, under that umbrella are, you know, what would Jesus say about all the different denominations of Christians, you know, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, and all their subdivisions? You know, what would Jesus think of one? Would, would Jesus think one is better or, or, or more all-inclusive than others? And would Jesus approve? And so, like, I think basically the reason that we have denominations today is because there's so many non-essential beliefs out there. You can hardly get you know, two Christians in the same room and, and not find something that they disagree upon. Right? And, and that, that is, that's caused division. That's caused different denominations to, to occur. Right? And so, so what, a, what a church believes doctrinally or about scripture, you know, you know, like what we believe about worship or women in leadership or you know, certain issues and participation in war, you know, all of those kind of things. Like we, people just like, hey, I'm going to take a stance on this and I disagree with you, so we're just going to go in two separate ways or multiple ways. Some people like the liturgical worship, you know, traditional worship. Other people like more contemporary worship. And like denominations and churches are formed on, on what we believe about these non-essential beliefs. But how do we get here in the first place? How did denominations occur in the first place? And, and really to understand that we've got to go back 400 years to, to the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. And so, so the reformers were rebelling against the Roman Catholic Church because of its stranglehold on politics. And so really, they started making religion territorial. And, and, it, and it led to all kinds of, of just like corruptions in, in the Christian faith and how they practiced it. And so there was a breakaway between the Catholics and, and, and the Protestants. But it didn't take long for the Protestants to start infighting as well and start disagreeing about different denominational things and all that. And, and there was more separation that occurred. I've lost track of how many denominations there are today. But if we, if we want to really understand, we've got to go back even further. So in Acts chapter 2, we see the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit is breathed out. And, and the way that the church for the first 1,000 years, 1,000 years, was talked about was with this phrase, the one holy Catholic apostolic church. Now that word Catholic is a small c, right? And it, it means universal. And so in the Apostles' Creed, when the Apostles' Creed was, was written, that is the language that was used to describe the church, like the, the one holy Catholic apostolic church. And so every time that you know, we, we talk about the Apostles' Creed, people are like, well, well, if Catholic means universal, why don't you just change it? I'm like, I didn't write the prayer, right? And it's like a really old prayer. And like the church hasn't changed it, so I, I have no authority to change it. But I do have the responsibility to teach you and to equip you that when we hear the first thousand years about this one holy apostolic church, right? Catholic church, it's a, this, this universal, this, this, there was one church, right? But in 1054, the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Catholic Church split, right? And, and they were, it was about the Pope and the authority of the Pope, 
Right, and then in 1517, the, the Protestant Reformation came in and it replaced the authority of the Pope with, with the authority of Scripture. And then in the 18th century in England, a man named John Wesley started a revival. God did a revival through him, and, and we started with a people called Methodists. And really, as I, as I study this and I look at this, I, I realize that all of this division was birthed out of seeking to, to redeem the brokenness of the church at the time. So what, what do you think Jesus would say about this? What do you think Jesus would say about the different denominations, right, Protestant, Catholic, and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, it wasn't in existence. But I think we, we might be able to, to get a little glimpse. Right? And so Jesus wasn't a Christian. Jesus was Jewish. Right? And so there, there are a lot of different kind of factions within Judaism. Right? There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots and the Nazarites and all these different groups of people. And so Jesus would oftentimes directly address these different factions. And it's interesting to me is that, that he would call out their behavior. He'd call out their, the way that they lived their lives as, as part of, of followers of God. And, and he would condemn them for the way that they, they lived their everyday or ordinary life. But I, don't, I can't find anywhere. He says, well, you know what? You guys, you should all be one. Like you need to get rid of all of your factions and come together under one house. Right? He doesn't say that. Right? Because I, I, and I don't know why he doesn't say it. He just, he doesn't. And so I, like, I think that it's like, okay, Jesus didn't speak to it. And so I like, didn't condemn it or say there was sin or anything like that. So I, I think it's having denominations, as long as we're doing it from a biblical perspective, I think it's okay. Right? That's, that's my opinion. So the next question is, so why do we have church buildings since they're not part of the early church? So let's go back to the early church, right? the birth of the church at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so in Acts chapter 2, the people who were, were becoming to faith and starting in the church, they weren't called Christians at the start. They were Jews who followed the crucified Savior, Jesus but they, they still gathered, they still went to the temple, they still went to the synagogue, and, and then they started meeting in each other's homes. And so, so but here's the thing, like when, when the writers of the, the New Testament were writing about the church, right, they, they weren't referring to a building, right? They, they were talking about this, this gathered people who followed Jesus together. Right? That's, so it's, it's just a, a, a mind shift maybe that we need to make. You know, and, and this is really, it came to a head, I think, during the pandemic. You know, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, man, we can't meet together as a church family in the building, right? And they're just people were, were wigging out over that, right? And, and, I, and I knew, like, this is going to be a short time. It went longer than I thought. Just, I'm like, back in church by Easter. No. Right? And just, but I was just like, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not worried here. Right, because I, I understand that the church isn't about a, a, a building or a location. It's a, about the people of Jesus coming together to live for God's glory. Right? And so, so like it, 
I'm like, okay. Hey, there's going to be this season. There's going to be time we're not going to be able to, to gather. Maybe we're, we're going to gather online. Then we're going to gather in each other's homes. And then finally, we're going to get back together as, as a, in, a, in a church building. But it, the church isn't a building. It's the people. You know, in Acts chapter 12, talks about how the, the church was, was gathered together. They're, they're pay, praying for Peter. He was arrested. He was in prison. And, and they, they prayed, and, and lo and behold, he was set free. And, and he immediately went to the place where the church was gathered. Acts 12, 12. It says, he, Peter, went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where the many people had gathered and were praying. And like, oh, John Mark's mom, he, 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 she was a, a church planter. In other words, she opened her home so that other followers of Jesus could gather together to pray and to, to worship God and, and hear about the good things of Jesus. Which to me, just, it just shows the importance of, of gathering of the followers of Jesus. And I, just, I saw that when people started coming back from, from the pandemic. It was like a family reunion. People are hugging each other. People are crying like, this is amazing. I'm so glad to be back. Like We, we need each other. We need to encourage each other. But it doesn't have to happen in a building because the church isn't a building. It's a people. You know, divisions and church buildings and, you know, denominations. You know, I'm just, I, when I was in seminary, I took a couple of church history classes. And it, that was a stretch for me because when I was in high school and I took any history class, I was like, right? And I'm like, but, but I, I took these church history classes. I'm like, wait, I, I'm getting to pull back a little bit. I'm seeing this kind of a bigger picture, bigger perspective. And, and I'm like, wait, in the midst of all this division and denominations and all this stuff, like the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom, right? And just like, and she's, she's not perfect, because she's filled with sinners like you and like me. But I, I mean, I, I love her. I love the bride of Christ. I've, I've given my life to serve her as a pastor. But, you know, I just, sometimes I think we, we throw her under the bus. And I'm like, don't throw the bride of Christ under the bus. Just because some people in here are broken and messed up. She's the bride of Jesus. We must, we must protect her and hold her dearly and care for her because this is God's plan for redeeming the world. So I'll say all, all that to, to go to the, to the last question. Um, and this, this might stretch some people. So last question is, why does Charter Oak Church allow women to preach? Maybe some of you have thought about this before, or maybe you haven't thought about this. And this is one of those non-essential beliefs, right? It's, it's why there are, there are multiple de denominations, right? Different denominations, different churches take on different stances about this. And so I, I, I really, I want to look at two passages in the New Testament that really brings this question up in our church and in other churches around the world. And so whenever I was studying and preparing for today in this question, like, because I, I believe that women should be allowed to preach at our church, like I listen to everything that speaks against that. I, I listen to other pastors and teachers. I, I read lots of commentaries and things about why we shouldn't do it because of, of, of where I am, right? And, and, and the reason that, that all of them were, were writing about women shouldn't be allowed to, to preach or be in leadership in the church is based on two 
places in Scripture, in the New Testament. The first one is, is Paul's letter to 1 Timothy in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And when I was reading that at 9 o'clock service, there was, you know, there was a couple of guys that I could hear some like, elbowing their wives. I'm like, dude, don't do that. Like, you will pay for that at home. Right? <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing. So, so we do believe that women at our church can be in leadership and can speak and teach and everything. But you know, these two passages, they're, they're forbidding something. They really are. I believe that they're forbidding something. Right? And to me, it, just, it seems to be disingenuous to, to argue, you know what, hey, Paul wasn't forbidding anything, or hey, the, the, these words from Paul, you know, like, hey, just like throw them out because 21st century culture and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's dangerous ground. Just kind of take things on the surface, and, and I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable, and I disagree. Like, just, and like, we're just going to pull that part out of the Bible. I'm like, no, don't ever do that. We've got we to dig in when there's something that we disagree with that we're wrestling with. We've got to ask, okay, so what, what's really going on here? And so, so there's, there's two things that, that I, I want to cover here. So first of all, like, as I said, I, I do believe that, that Paul is, is like forbidding something here. But, and, and second of all, I, I also I, I want to look at the whole counsel of the New Testament. About what Paul writes in other places, about what we see in the book of Acts. So I want to look at both of those today. And, and so first of all, so what is, what is Paul forbidding, right? And, and look, you can disagree with me with this, right? I'm good with that, right? We, we, can have, we can sit down over coffee and we can, you know, have a real conversation about why you believe what you believe and what I believe what I believe, right? And we can base it all on scripture and, 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 you know, at the end of the day, we can still agree to be friends, to be brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That's, that's okay, right? But, but look, and I know, like, I've got a lot of friends who are, you know, very strongly against what I believe. And we're still really, really good friends. And so, like, and here's the thing. You know, one of the reasons we say this is a, a non-essential thing is because, you know, when we get to heaven and Jesus, we meet him at the gate, he's be like, oh man, what you believe about women in church? You got it wrong. No. This isn't a salvation thing. Right? He might even, for some people who strongly agree one way or another, they might be like, hey, why'd you make it such a big deal in an unloving way? Right? And so, like, so for, to me, like, we, we can't just read one or two verses and be like, okay. Right? We, we need to read it in context. So what, what is it that, that Paul's writing about here to, to Timothy? He's writing about worship. Worship of our Heavenly Father. So, so look at the verses right before what I read earlier. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He writes, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So Paul's not making this, this blanket statement here against women wearing jewelry or, or nice clothes. 
I think it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a warning against seductive and prideful and ostentatious self-display. And so the, the question here isn't about, you know, hey, women shouldn't seek to, to display beauty, but it's how. How women seek to display their beauty. And then after he writes that, then he goes on to talk about how women should learn in quietness and in full submission. But to me, as I'm reading this, I'm like, so why is Paul calling out women in the first place here? Because earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he, he, actually, he tells women and men to learn in quietness and full submission. And obviously Jesus, he, he, he thought that the women's role right, in, in, the life, in his life was important. He, just look at the story of Mary and Martha. So I just like, what's the context here? What's going on in this early church that would cause Paul to write this? You know, so maybe, like, were some women in Ephesus dis- disruptive with, with whispering and inattention? Actually, yes. Paul covers that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Did, did some of these women not share their husband's faith, verbally challenging their husbands in front of others? Maybe. Right? And so I just, I'm like, what was happening back then? Right? Because I think here's, there's confusion that was happening in the church and, and Paul seeking to address it. And so people are gathering, as we read in, in Acts chapter 2, in each other's homes, right? And, and there was a way that the, they were gathering in homes, and the way that the home was set up in, in terms of relationship between husbands and wives, and their roles and their responsibilities. And now, the church of Jesus Christ is meeting in homes, and they're like, what does this mean? How do we handle all of this? Like, who's, who's leading this? Who's speaking? And all of that kind of stuff. And so, like, there's just, there's such uncertainty about how to live this out early on. In the church, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, it says, at that time, women were, were teaching, they were interpreting, they were prophesying. And so, like, even then, it began to open up that, that women were allowed to, to teach in the church, and it was acceptable. But there was still this, this question and kind of confusion, because this is also a household. So I think Paul's trying to talk in, speak into to both of those. And so as we, we turn back to, to 1 Corinthians 14, 34, you know, we're reading again in, in the context of worship, right? This is, everything about this is about worship. So it begins this section in verse 26. He says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And so Paul, he's clearly saying, look, we, this is the church that's meeting in your town in Corinth, right? There are people, men and women, who are singing, right? They're teaching, they're speaking in tongues, they're interpreting those tongues. But he's like, and it almost to me, it almost feels like the, what he follows that with, though, it makes those things secondary. He's like, you know what? The most important thing that we do as a church is to build one another up. Are we? Because it can't become just about one individual. And it's on, on those heels that then Paul writes in verses 34 to 35, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And so it doesn't, there's, there's no sense here, because it's in the context of worship, that, that Paul's making this, this general command that women have to be silent. I think Paul is talking to these, these married women who, who, who want to be involved in the evaluation of their husband's prophecy and teaching. 
Right? They're, they're actually they're disrupting the service with them asking their husbands questions. They're like, wait till you get home. Ask your husband then. And so this is, this is so difficult, I think, for us because it gets confusing because of the relationship between husband and wife and the church and all of that kind of stuff. And, and so like, I think during that time, he's, Paul's talking about something that was going on in that early church that was bringing division and, and confusion. And so I don't, ultimately, I don't think that we can interpret something as, that was specific for that time to be some kind of overarching rule for all time and all places. Right? It, was, it was for then. Right? And, 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 here's, and here's why I say this, that, that sometimes Paul says things that were true for back then but are, are not true for today. So I was, I was watching you come in this morning. And I didn't see any of you kissing. I didn't see anybody kiss today. Right? And, and, and the reason I say that is because in Romans 16, 16, Paul commands us as brothers and sisters in Christ to greet each other with a holy kiss. Right? Dave's not coming back next week. I'm like, come here, big guy. Right? We don't do that. Right? And no one's like, oh my gosh, you can't believe that we're not kissing at church. Right? And so, like, this is, and look, and I don't want to be like, hey, we can set anything aside because culturally things are different, right? Paul does, does not say either one of these things and not doing either one of these things is sin, right? He doesn't say, hey, if women preach or if they're in leadership, that's sin. If you don't greet one another with a holy kiss, that's sin. He doesn't say that, right? And so we can't just say, oh, you know, culture, whatever. But now I just, I, I, just real quick, I want to pull back and, and look at other places in the New Testament that gives us a, a bigger context of, of why we allow women to, to, to preach and be in leadership at Charter Oak Church. So Acts chapter 2. So Peter says that when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, that it was the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, which says that both men and women would prophesy or they would teach. In Acts chapter 12, we talked about this just a few minutes ago. John Mark's mom probably started a church in her home. Acts chapter 18, we're introduced to a wife and a husband team, Priscilla and Aquila, who take Paul into their home, who later in Acts 18, they, they teach together, they teach Apollos the way of God more accurately. In Romans chapter 16, verses 3 to 5, Paul commends Paul, Priscilla and Aquila as co-workers in the church. In other words, they're paid pastors, just like Paul. And in Romans 16, 7, we're introduced to a woman named Junia who is called an apostle. And Paul doesn't use that word lightly. The, the only people that Paul calls an apostle are those who are listed by name. And they are clearly recognized as clergy in the church. And so for me, I use all of this, this biblical evidence to say, you know what, we're, we're going to allow women to be in leadership in our church and to preach and to teach in our church. And I, I'm not trying to dismiss what Paul's writing to forbid. I think it was very specific for a time and a place. Right? And so like, we have women in our church who are obviously, obviously gifted by God as great communicators and teachers and leaders who, who are committed to making the word of God, the gospel, clear and accessible like I, I'm personally, I am grateful for, for their willingness to, to humbly teach God's word to us. 
And so as we, we're walking through this series, there, there's going to be some questions that are going to challenge you, that are going to push you. And, and as you are walking through that, I, just, I want you to keep in mind what, what St. Augustine said over 1,500 years ago. Here it is. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Let's pray. Grace to my Father. I'm so grateful for a church that uh, wrestles with the hard things. That are not satisfied with just leaving things unspoken or uh, dealing with things in a, in, a, in a way that is honoring to each other and, and really seeks to, to build up um, our church. So, Father, as we, we walk through um, these things, may, may our love for each other be, be so evident. God, may we root ourself, ourselves in, in your word, not satisfied with you know, surface-level answers and just afraid to engage in, in debate and discussion because we're, we're afraid that it's going to end in division. Father, I pray that Satan would never get a foothold in our church. Father, I know Satan wants to, to whisper condemnation and wants to whisper uh, just things that are, are going to, to hurt us and tear us apart. Especially when it comes to things that, that we disagree with one another on. So Father, I, I do pray for unity. Unity in the spirit. Unity in the truth of your word found in the Bible pursue you, that we would love you and that we would love each other with such distinction that a watching world would be drawn to you. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.